Hello and welcome to episode 52 of the NFL Scotland podcast. OTAs are underway, which is another sign that the season is coming soon. My name is Cameron Hobbs. And my name is Paul Mitchell. However, we're 15 weeks away from week one, so we're going to take the opportunity to look at the game a little closer to home. NFL UK revealed details of the ticket arrangement for this year's games, and you've had your say on the matter. We'll be touching on all the headlines. Touching and touchier to the words that come with that. We'll be catching up with former Edinburgh Wolves quarterback Jamie Morrison on his European adventure. We'll also be joined by British journalist and broadcaster Ben Isaacs to hear about his new book, Today in NFL History. We'll also then wrap up with an update on how the Scottish teams are getting on in the British leagues this season. And we'll discuss some of the items catching our attention in the news this week. So we're going to kick off then with the hot news that the NFL UK have given out details for the ticket arrangements for the four games taking place in London this season. And it has certainly had a reaction. There's no denying that. Yeah, it's been as smooth as nobody's bothered, everybody's happy. Everybody's going to get what they want, when they want, how they want it, for the price they want it. I think that was the objective. I don't quite think they've met it, Cameron. No. Um, well, they open. Well, they open. They go on to stay pretty early in the whole thing. We listened to fans' concerns during last year's season ticket renewal window, and have decided that the simplest approach is to separate season tickets for each stadium. Therefore, we will no longer be offering a priority window to Wembley season ticket holders for an NFL season ticket at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Now, this uh, seems to be of all the changes, the one that's getting the most reaction. I think, you know, looking through the the messages, and we'll come on to what some people have replied to us, but the general feel from season ticket holders is they feel like what's been the point in investing for years and years and years when the opportunities come up to go to this new stadium and they're now getting no priority whatsoever. And I think that is coming out of these people are now, having attended all the games and been able to go to them all, they now face a very real... um, scenario where they miss out on tickets yeah I could have understood if they'd said look you're a season ticket holder what we're going to do for this year is you're allowed to pick you can have a season ticket at Tottenham or you can have a season ticket at Wembley and next year that's how it's going to be you will get the pick of one stadium or the other so you're a season ticket holder that's the top level you come down the level and the box splits and says is it Wembley is it Tottenham and then you get your season ticket. Next year after that, I'm a season ticket holder. Do I want the games at Tottenham or Wembley? I think that would have been fairer, because I am fairly certain that a massive proportion of people who are unhappy are the fans of the Bears and the Raiders, who are now not going to be guaranteed to see their team at Tottenham. Indeed. Um, There's also some other changes. There's now going to be a limit of eight uh, season tickets per account holder, whereas at Tottenham I think it's going to be six. Um, there's not a discount for getting a season ticket on main ticket prices at Tottenham when there is at Wembley. However, offset against that is the overall price of tickets at the Tottenham Stadium are lower, I think, like for like. So slightly there. Um, there's a voucher for 25% discount at the NFL shop. Fine, that's a nice wee thing to do. You can continue to spread the cost. That's fine. The message, though, does seem to be the stickling point, really, about the season tickets. And I think single ticket purchasers, buyers, people interested in only going to the one game, they maybe feel that this is better for them and that this means that there might be more available but those details haven't come out yet other than that there will be single game tickets available. 
and I, it's a really hard one, this one, because I do remember there was uproar last year that people were worried that they weren't going to be getting the tickets. The game ended up being moved to Wembley, so it was a bit of a non-starter. That's given the NFL UK more time to think about it, and they've clearly done what they think is the fairest way to do it. It's We are very lucky to have the games over here, and I think that we are maybe a little bit spoiled by that at times. It's a big old country, this, and a lot of NFL fans in the UK. Um, you know, there's 12 million people in London alone let, you know, that are going to pack into a 60,000-seat stadium. Reduction in the ticket prices. But again, that first game is Bears-Raiders, which is two teams with massive followings. It's a really sore one to kick it all off with. Um, it's a marquee game, and I think, I think they are unfair. I think you should have been given the choice of where you wanted your season ticket to continue, Wembley or Tottenham. I I think that would have been fair. I would set aside a certain percentage for one game only because the thing is people are going to travel from Germany, from France, from Sweden, from Scotland, more importantly from our point of view, for one game. You know, we can't, you know, you can't necessarily bookend a whole week with the two games. Some people, and I only ever go to one game. What I found interesting about this is I've not had to bother about tickets ever since I've gone because my friends and I, we, we treat that as a special weekend and we do hospitality. Therefore, it's never been a problem yeah. to get a ticket. But what I'm seeing is people who've invested a lot of money who clearly want to go and see all four games. Now, you could argue, the counter-argument to that is greedy. But I say, I think the choice should have been this year, which stadium do you want your two? Because arguably the two best games are at Tottenham. Yeah. And that's what people will want. I think it might force some people who are desperate to see their team and their team alone into hospitality. So I hope the hospitality packages are a little bit more reasonable as well. I think that one of the other worries, concerns, is that single-game purchasers who can't afford to buy the season ticket are worried that other single-gamers are going to buy season tickets to guarantee their ticket. And even then, I'm not sure it's guaranteed you're going to get a season ticket. Um, but buy, you get all the season tickets snapped up by people who have no intention of going to both games, meaning that you'll see a flood of tickets then on the resale market now. Hopefully, good people will resell them at face value if they're going to do it at all. But we know that's not always the case. Interesting to note that the NFL UK have said as well that last year they were forced to cancel 4,000 tickets purchased by individuals exceeding the uh, ticket limit for the purpose of resale, which feels like you know a, a concern that we discussed last year was the whole ticket tightening thing. They've gone some way to deal with this, um, though the, the, the word seems to be that people want to see more done on that front as well. Absolutely. I mean, I, I mentioned this back in 2016 when I was trying to get tickets for Twickenham for my son. And I got in touch with Charlie Sale at the Daily Mail, who ran a piece. I got in touch with Alistair Kirkwood at NFL, uh, who's a great guy, came back saying, yes, we are aware of this, we are looking into it. And I feel each year they do try and get it better and better. The, an the answer is simple. You buy a ticket, you supply your name and your address. Now, that might be for the two tickets, but you prove it's you and the person that goes with you as your guest is the second person. You know, you can do it that way or, you you know, there, there could be a way to change the name without once, without a cost. We are living in a digital age. None of this is difficult. None of it. Um, you should have that ability to transfer the ticket to somebody else who's registered with NFL.com. So if I bought a ticket and I want to give it to you, I simply apply to transfer it to your account. You can do away with the touts, you can do away with Get Me In, the resale site. All of that has to go. We've seen it with musicals, we've seen it with concerts. The technology is there. 
The answer is many companies don't want to do it because the resale stuff is lucrative. The commissions are lucrative. I mean, I, I've just bought tickets to go and see Billy Joel and I was looking at the resale sites. Now, the resale sites, the tickets were more expensive than I could actually buy direct from Wembley. I hope these people get done yeah. and don't shift them. I mean, that's nonsensical. So there are ways and means to do it. You know, we put a man on the moon, we can work out how to sell a few tickets to people who actually genuinely want them. And it is happening in the UK. So we talked about this briefly before we came on air, but um, I took my wife to see Hamilton the Musical, which is a very in-demand hot musical in London. It's not a big theatre. Now, they actually do not give you a ticket. When you buy it, you have to turn up on the day with a confirmation slip and the card that you use to purchase. Um, and only if you've got those two things do you go in. And I thought this might be lip service. I thought either that or they're going to be really detailed and it'll take ages. And it was neither. They took a proper look at the card and then very quickly scanned the code on the confirmation and out popped your tickets out of a machine at the bottom. I thought we'd be queuing for ages to get in. Wasn't it literally straight into the, the theatre? No problem whatsoever. And I think that this is something that at least NFL UK are going to continue to do. They're getting a hard time at the moment. I understand that. The, not helped by the fact that they said three o'clock and then it was delayed to five o'clock. But I personally have no issue with that. I'd rather they took two more hours and got whatever they wanted right if it wasn't going to be right at three o'clock. Um, I totally get that there's a lot of um, a lot of people who feel like they've been promised something and now the the goals have moved. Uh, and I get that feeling. I get that you know some single ticket aspirees are quite pleased. It might mean that there's more for them. But I get the worries as well. So I, this is a really difficult one and I don't actually know how I feel about it. I just think they could have been a bit more imaginative. Mm. As I've outlined, that's how I would have done it. Given people a chance, you ring fence a certain number of single game tickets. So if that season ticket limit is reached, that's fine. It's reached. Ring fence because you want to give fans the chance to go. There would be nothing more frustrating if you are a Bears or Raiders fan, for example. You've never seen your team. They're coming to the UK and you don't get a sniff of a ticket. That just must be horrible. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and, you know, there's been some great reactions on social media from people. Yeah, there has. And before we go to that, I'm going to just touch on one last thing. Because um, the one bit of news that snuck in there, now being hospitality, this has never really impacted you. But for the povos like me that go into the cheap seats, um, this has always been something I've engaged with. Engaged with. But... Uh, NFL UK say our games at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium will enable us to create a fantastic new and different experience for our fans the focus will be to produce an enhanced programme of activity that takes advantage of the exciting opportunities inside the stadium rather than the tradi traditional pre-game tailgates now oh great they're going to bomb a light show at us congratulations <laughs> thanks very much bit of sparkly things going off disco lights um, no thanks yeah but I mean, the, so the pre-game tailgates, uh, having tailgated in America, it's not the same thing in the UK at all. It's a nice little thing to go to, having gone down to Wembley since 2013, every single year. Um, I do tend to go and get a little bit of a sample, but it's not so great that I'm going to be massively disappointed if it's not at Tottenham. And, you know, based on what we've heard about the stadium, there is a lot going on inside. And I look forward to that light show. I think it'll be brilliant. I think it'll blow your mind, Paul. I think be open to it. Embrace it. And you'll have a great old time with it. I'll come out of hospitality in time for a <laughs> that, That's if I'm there. Um, no, that, that, these kind of things don't work. I mean, I pay to see the game. That's why I go down. I go down with my mates. We go down for a meal. We enjoy it from that point of view. 
pre-match entertainment as I hear things, or it's not. What I liked about the tailgate at Wembley was just the chance to meet people and talk to people. Now, I think space is a bit more limited around the Tottenham Stadium, so I get the idea you'll get people into their seats probably earlier. I would like to see that if you're going to bring somebody over to sing the national anthem, I'd rather they did three, four, five songs, unless it was um, the lot we had at Wembley one year, uh, Little Mix. Yeah. Uh, then I'd rather it was instrumental. <laughs> so I think there, there's ways of doing it, and good luck to them doing it. I, I'm not a fan, and I got absolutely battered on Twitter uh, when I mentioned this about a Celtic European night. I'm not a fan of all of these light shows and things. That doesn't work for me. I don't like fireworks. I don't like light shows. That's my thing. If people want to do that and are entertained by that, great, grand. But from my point of view, don't try and pass this off as something that's better than a tailgate or a chance to sit and have a beer and chat to someone. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right, let's go to Twitter then. We'll get some of the reaction that we got from people. So Raymond Smith got in touch. He highlighted that the NFL had down approximately 40,000 tickets over the two games at Tottenham due to the capacity there. Uh, They sell the Wembley tickets first. He's never failed to get a single game ticket yet, but it might be a struggle this year. Uh, Billy Cowan, he says, as usual disregard for fans outside the M25 and amazing contempt for those within it. Billy, not particularly impressed. Uh, Gordon Black, he says, all about the single tickets. Season tickets are non-starter given its consecutive weeks at each stadium, given travel, etc. Would be difficult if season tickets would be different. Sorry, if season tickets were game one and three and two and four. So he feels like he's got you know. Gordon's obviously just focusing on those singles. You on the other hand says it's a joke contemplating getting a season ticket. We have everything booked and paid don't want to lose out and I think just to touch on that there will be people who as soon as the games are announced will go and book accommodation and there might have been previous season ticket holders have done that already um, on the basis that they thought they would probably get preferential treatment yeah absolutely because what I've not liked this year and it perhaps has linked to the Tottenham Stadium is I mean usually you know the games announced in January tickets go on sale not that much later it just feels very very late this year, and you don't want to be scrambling about trying to get hotel rooms and flights and things. Indeed. If you know, it could be you've got the money there, you just want to pay for them, get it arranged. That could be a lot of people. That's a main part of their year in, in terms of travel and getting away for a weekend. So I, I, I do feel for them. Olivia Ramage, she says, just hope I can get three single tickets for the Carolina game. It's the only game that we can manage. Patriots Nation UK, he, they say that they've only been to single games, have managed to go and never had a problem. There'll be details of single game opportunities in due course, I imagine, and there's always team returns of social media nearer at the time. It's a huge bit pity for loyal season ticket holders that I have had for years. Um, then the LA Rams UK account has said shambles, fans in Scotland, of which I am one, have to commit to two games instead of one. Costs a lot of money for the ordinary person to get to London and stay overnight along with the rest of your spending money. Also means time of work. I want to see my team. That's it. Um, And then they go on and have a little bit of a conversation. And people are engaging with each other on this. Um, So, you know, Fitball Tweets asked, um, you know, they're all interested in the Bear games. Do we even know when single games uh, will go on sale? We replied, not yet. We've got a reply to say that that'll be next month too. So nothing's been communicated officially, but we'll wait to hear on that one. Uh, Sandy Mackay asks, do you think if I bought a season ticket for the two games at Spurs and only used one, I would be able to sell the other? Question mark. I know the tickets will be in high demand and sell for fun, but will they be in my name and only be able to be used by myself? So he's obviously thinking that's the sort of thing that they're doing. And it's a difficult one, this, because you don't want to create this habit of people just buying season tickets and selling the other one, because it does take it out of the NFL UK hands. And it just, 
it's taken away from people who genuinely maybe want a season ticket to go to both because they can or what have you. Uh, last person with a comment on this though is Alan Morton. With so many season ticket holders, why is there separate season tickets for Wembley and White Hart Lane? Now this is the one thing that, and we'll just finish up on this before we move on. If we don't know the number of season ticket holders at Wembley, the, the capacity is about 84, 85,000 is what you tend to get there. It was 62 at Tottenham. So that's actually about 22,000 less. If there are, let's just say, 55,000 season ticket holders at Wembley. Now, I don't know, I've plucked that in my head. If that's how many season ticket holders there are, if you do allow them all to go and buy at Tottenham, and they all take, you've only got, what's my math, 7,000 tickets. By the time you've then given to sponsors, and you've given to teams, and family, and press, there might be nothing left for anybody at all. So I wonder whether that's the major contributing factor. But again, just go back to what I said at the start. Let people choose. If you've built up that loyalty, and I've got a season ticket, for example, for Wembley, but I'm a Bears or Raiders fan, this is no use to me. Absolutely. So you're asking me to start again. All I'm saying is transfer your loyalty over to the other stadium. And at least if you then say, well, from then on, you've got to stay at Tottenham or you've got to stay at Wembley, I would still interchange them as I outlined, but this is undermining people who have got plans to go and see their teams play, and I think that's wrong. Yeah, an interesting point, Paul. I think you've got a good one. Do continue to let us know your thoughts on Twitter. Uh, We'd love to hear what you think, and I'm sure we'll be discussing this more in the coming weeks. Well, if you're a regular listener to the NFL Scotland podcast, you will have heard us speak before to Jamie Morrison, the former quarterback of the Edinburgh Wolves. Well, Jamie has moved onwards and upwards in his search to continue to play the game and has moved to Prague. And earlier on, Cameron caught up with Jamie live from Prague. So delighted to be joined now by former Edinburgh Wolf and now Prague Mustang quarterback Jamie Morrison. Jamie, let's kick off first of all by comparing the the sort of standards between the two games. Talking about the game in Scotland and in the UK versus the game over there in the Czech Republic. What has been the biggest difference? I think that is. I actually think it might be just slightly lower than what I'm kind of used to back at home, and I think that's purely because we're actually in Division Two here. Um, I think if we were in Division 1, I think it would be actually really, like, just slightly higher in competitiveness. But it's kind of really, I'm actually finding it really difficult to compare because people say it all the time and they ask me it. It's like, what's the difference? And I'm like, I actually don't know because there's certain areas that of the team that I would maybe say were slightly better, but then there's obviously areas that are weaker. So, for example, I think back home, I think um, offense and defensive line, especially for this year from what I've heard and what I've seen before I came out, um, are just like phenomenal and I think they are just better athletes but things like running back and receiver I think because we're a bit younger here um, I think that we have the benefit of a bit more athleticism except while the Wolves have a bit more experience so I think it kind of goes up and down depending on the positional groups and stuff and because when we're playing against other opponents we're just like you're scouting you're playing you're doing those one-on-one matchups it's kind of hard to get a feel for it um but it's been really enjoyable. It has been very competitive in the, the game so far, so I'm not really going to complain too much. <laughs> and how's the season been going then? It looks to be a success so far. Uh, it's been up and down. Um, so currently we're actually 2-2, two and two, but both of our losses are currently to the same team. Okay. So, And they were both very, very competitive matches. The first one was actually uh, nil-nil into the fourth quarter in a very, very defensive um, game in which they scored on their final drive against us and we were moving the ball quite well 
up until the end and thinking that someone had caught the ball in a deep out, had got out of bounds to stop the clock. We hauled a huddle, ran a play, turned out the clock was still going, so we had to, to rush our final play and it was unsuccessful. And in the previous game, I kind of felt that we, we actually shot ourselves in the foot a lot. and We came out really, really well in the first quarter and a half and actually had the ball in the 10-yard line three times in the first half and only managed to come away with three points. So failures there kind of led to a defeat in, in our minds. We could have had a, like a really strong lead going into the half. But it's been really competitive. We've also played our rivalry match against the other Prague team, which is the Black Panthers B team. Thankfully, we're successful in that game and quite in front of quite a very large crowd, actually. Uh, both teams having a big crowd there for it. It was really loud, really loud. Um, so we were glad to win that one. And we actually have to play them again a week on Sunday, a week on Saturday. And, and what's probably, for us, uh, a win, like, massive. Like, we have to win that game. If we don't win that game... And we probably aren't going to be making the final because, unfortunately, the schedule is kind of a bit against us. Right. Okay. That we have to play the Mammoths and the Black Panthers twice each, and they're we're we would say they were the top teams in the division with ourselves, but they only have to play each other once. So, if we lose to the um, Panthers, we would have three losses, and if they lost to the Mammoths later on the season, they would only finish with two meaning we would be below them. So it's been unfortunate in that, but it means that it's in our hands. So we're hoping that we can snag another win there. So take us back to how this opportunity even came up, though, because obviously you had a, a massive season with the Wolves last year, um, you know, and what was a, a, a tightly contested battle for the top Scottish team between yourselves and the East Kilbride Pirates. Um, you know, the East Kilbrides have been up in that top slot for a very long time. You finally take them off it, and then you leave for the Czech Republic. How did that come about? Um, so there is an um, organisation called Podium who worked with Napier, Edinburgh Napier Knights, and they did what was essentially their sort of European combine camp kind of day in Edinburgh. So I attended that, and it actually went really well, really well for me. And I was getting some positive feedback from the coaches and the organisation about trying to get out into um, Europe. And I realised, obviously, leaving the Wolves is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. Um, but I've actually never—this is the first time I've lived outside of Edinburgh since I was eight. Um, and then just the fact that the opportunity—I thought I'd just like throw my hat out there, see if any teams would be willing to pick me up. And it was just because I needed that life experience of just being in another country. I've not done too much traveling. I kind of went school, uni, full-time employment. And because I, I can take a sabbatical from work, I just I couldn't not take the opportunity. It's going to be something I'll be able to talk about when I'm 20 years down the line. I'm still old, trying to cling on to those moments. Yeah. Yeah. And how's so, it been so far then? How do you think things like the language barrier? The language barrier has surprisingly been fine. So I live with an American mm-hmm. in a very foreign area of Czech Republic. So I'll be walking around and people, I'll just hear people speaking English every now and then. A lot of the, pretty much a, a lot of the players all speak English. And pretty, pretty, some of them pretty good standard where I actually had to question if they were Czech or not. Um, and the coaches, uh, it's like 75% of them actually speak English as well. So we, our head coach is American. My offensive coordinator is a Mexican who actually lives in the floor above me, which in my flat, which is very convenient. <laughs> a wide receiver coach is English and stuff like that. So, is language has not been actually too much of an issue. Maybe sometimes calling the plays, specifically with the offensive line, have to be very clear. But American football almost has its own language, really. 
Um, I remember watching the, the GFL one final, and every now and then they're just dropping in American football terms. And it's just like it is its own language; it's not really English, which is also quite handy. Yeah, absolutely. And I was going to ask you that as well. Obviously, having spent so much time at the Wolves, you know, you learned that playback, uh, that playbook, and you evolved with it. Um, how's it been? You know, almost like throwing all that out the window to an extent, um, and relearning everything. Is it a similar scheme that you're playing over there? Is it you know, diff, diff, completely different routes? Has there been a complete relearning, or have you been able to take some of the stuff you've done and and apply it to the game over there? Um, it's actually been really, really interesting, and it's probably one of the better parts of the experience. Is um, my offensive coordinator played running back back in Mexico City and Mexico City University, which. It's still quite a high standard over there, um, so he we've developed a bit of like a power run scheme, and he's been very it's been really interesting to learn from about, especially like the run aspect and how he's been moving players about and trying to um, attack the defenses. And when it comes to passing schemes, because I've been around quite a long time, I think this is my fourteenth year. A lot of them are very similar to stuff that I've ran in the past. There's a couple of them that are slightly different, which are. Good, nice to pick up on, but a lot of passing concepts are very, very similar, and it's just about how you make the offense look and what sort of formations you come out. So it has been actually a really good learning experience, especially to in that run game area, which I was probably my weakest point. So hopefully, I can bring that information back to the UK at some point. And I was just going to ask you that, what is the plans then? Because um, you've obviously got this amazing opportunity. Is this a one-year thing, or are you hoping that this might end up being a multi-year opportunity to go and stay and play it there in Europe? Uh, it's something I need to properly actually think about. I think it's been a lot easier and simpler because when I go home, I will have full-time employment. It's pretty much just I can just email my old work and say, I'd like to start again, and I can just go back. If I was to do it again, I wouldn't have that security and safety. So it's really, it would have to. I'd have to put more consideration into what I'd be doing if I was to come back to Europe and what sort of situation I'd be in. Yeah, so that, that absolutely. It's very likely that it might just be a one-year thing. Um, I don't think if I think if I came back again, the girlfriend would be very, very unhappy with me. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make sure she doesn't listen. Don't worry. We'll, we'll not tell her this is going out. Um, what about the standard then of the league itself? You know, we've talked about the competition, but from some of the photos online and from social media, it looks like there's quite a substantial crowd at your games. Is it better fold? Obviously, you've said you're in Division Two, but you're out there on a sort of semi-pro basis as well, which feels slightly different to the UK game. Is it? Is the game overall much greater? I genuinely think this is probably one of the bigger aspects that's different. Um, I think we get a big crowd because we're, all, we're in a bigger city. It's kind of close to this, um, the centre. And we offer free tickets. So all the guys take tickets and they're just handing them out like crazy. So we have the affordability that we can offer that to people. But I believe the, the, the league itself is actually sponsored by what's called Paddock, which I think is essentially the Czech Republic uh, Red Bull. Right. So there's a lot of investment with them. And companies actually bring pop-up tents to do, like, sell food, store. So they're like, I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're, they're frozen yogurt ice cream things. So they're selling them at the games. Um, our office coordinator also runs a Mexican restaurant, so he brings burritos. So he's selling stuff in the stand. So there's these things that make it a bit more enjoyable for fans 
Um, I also was able to go to the Division One Prague Lions opening game of the season, and that was crazy. That was amazing. There was stands everywhere. There was beer stands. There was a Costa. The paddock had their own stand, and we're doing little events outside. There was a halftime show with a proper band with like fireworks. That wasn't fireworks, but pyros, smoke and stuff. Yeah, yeah pyros. <clears throat> so I think. There's definitely investment in the league and it definitely shows with regards to what's available to fans and obviously being able to bring in talents from outside of the country. And do you think there's something that the UK game could learn from that then? Yeah, I think they do need to be able to allow this sort of investment to bring, like, add money into it. And I suppose that would be the change of going from amateur to um, like a semi-professional league because... The talent actually in the UK is really high and is a significant level and should be like we should be pulling in crowds more. But I suppose the hardest thing though is um the competition with rugby in that obviously a lot of guys will be playing that and watching that. Well here they don't really have that, so I think American football kind of fills that void of like sponsorship and viewership. So I suppose it doesn't really have that same competition, so it would be a lot harder. But from what I'm actually able to see um, from over here and what's going on there, it definitely seems to be trending that way. Yeah. There's more, um, like what the Wolves are obviously doing with their mic'd up series. There's a lot more social media going on, not just from them, but from lots of teams around the country. And they're doing live streams with commentary stuff with it. So <clears throat> I think it, I think it needs somebody to come along and actually invest in the league as a whole. Um, I believe that, they use the money really wisely here in that they have some really nice camera setups that they take to specific games throughout the weeks and do really nice highlights and really um, high-quality footage that they put on their YouTube, which is, again, another way to promote, show the high-quality play and hopefully get fans down. So I think that's kind of the sort of area that they need to be focusing on is the social media and making sure people are actually interested enough to want to go along in the first place. So anyone that's been to Prague and the Czech Republic will know that it's a bit of a party town. Certainly, (laughs) if there's any guys listening on this, they might have seen some balls fumbled in the Czech Republic themselves before. How have you found the atmosphere of Prague itself and and the the fact that it is such a vibrant and exciting city to be in? Um, It has been fairly enjoyable. The, um, The biggest thing that anyone has ever said when I've ever come to Prague is the beer is cheaper than the water. And... Do you know what? I actually stands true, especially when you get outside of like the city centre. Like the Czechs always complain about how expensive in the city centre. But when we come as tourists, we're like, "Oh my god, it's so cheap here compared to back home as well." And they're complaining about it being expensive. And um, so they do, they do quite enjoy a little party. And um, we actually, after every home game, there's like a skate park on like a small island between like in the river that we. We and a bunch of the other teams in Prague actually all go there to party afterwards. It's actually it's quite nice going there because you're kind of like open um, outside on some benches with beer and just a bunch of American football fans just being able to enjoy drinking. They do love it. They've got this um, potato rum here, right? Which they that was the first thing they were like, "You need to drink this because they think it's nasty." And I was unfortunately I disappointed them. It actually wasn't that bad. <laughs> especially with uh, some coke afterwards. <laughs> but yeah, they do love to party. They're always happy just at any moment just to have a nice beer whenever they can. So who are the stars of your current team then? Who are your go-to wide receiver? And who's the lineman that's looking after you the best? 
And funny enough, um, I'll start with the lineman because I always compare him to Ali Ritchie back home because he is—he's like—he gives me lifts to practice, um, <laughs> just like Ali does. Um, he's been around football for a while, so he's a very strong leader of the line and helps the coaches as well build them up. And he just—he just reminds me of Ali so much; it's hilarious. And he also does not take any of my my crap as well, which is always quite fun. Um, he always—he's always asking me to pull, like whenever it's like. Any sort of pool plays, it's like, that's going left, right? And I was like, no, sorry. <laughs> um, but we've got a couple of talented receivers. <clears throat> One guy they brought in as well as myself was um, a guy called Patrick Viner, who's been playing in Germany, um, GFL 2, played in some of the higher um, Czech teams. He's just, again, he's just someone who's smart. You just know that he's going to be in the window when you need him to be. Has really soft hands, and when he makes the catch, he's going to... Um, make a couple of guys miss and get some extra yards. Um, <clears throat> funnily enough, though, one of our best receivers is a rookie this year. So he actually is he's just a really he's a young guy. He's still um, studying and just has some great speed and is just picking up the game really well. It's it's crazy to me that how quick he's been picking up the game that much that he was refereeing one of the junior tournaments as well. Um, so he's been really enjoyable to watch and to play with and hopefully um, teach a little bit as well. And so I'm quite excited to have him. He's just really good the confidence that as soon as I catch the pass in certain situations, I know that I'm going to have him on a fade or starting routes, especially some of the deeper ones. Brilliant. And someone that you can maybe persuade to come back to Edinburgh with you. <laughs> hopefully. I'm, I'm I sure keep Coach... telling everyone how amazing Edinburgh is. So. <laughs> I'm sure Coach Edmondson's got you on a commission for anyone you bring back. <laughs> well brilliant so what's the what's the goal then for the final question what's the goal for the rest of you you've obviously said you've got that one big game but is it is it just make the playoffs or are you really hoping to make a run for the the whole thing um, well funnily enough because it's a six team league playoffs is final oh right it's finals only so it's the top two teams just go straight into our finals game so yeah we want to we want to I'm ambitious that I believe the team is talented enough um, to get to the final we just need to keep working hard, getting to practice and doing the right things and obviously starting with this next game against the Panthers. Um, because one of the things about this team is there was actually another Prague team called the Prague Hippos and they merged in the off-season. And it was kind of like a perfect merge for both teams because the Hippos had like some these linemen, some of these linemen are actually quite large, especially on the defensive side of the ball. And then the, the Mustangs had a lot of the skill positions that they bring bringing up for their junior team. So the kind of combination of the two has actually been really nice to complete the team and give enough depth, which is always a big thing within an American football season. As soon as someone gets injured, you need to be able to have someone there to be able to step up and still keep at that same level. So I think we have likely, if we get to the final, we'll of course be playing the Mammoths. And we really do know that we can beat them. We just need to be able to execute better on the day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right, this is the last question. Um, we've obviously just had the NFL UK announce the ticket details for Wembley. You're a big Houston Texans fan. Uh, will you be at Wembley for the game against the Jacksonville Jags? Well, that's news to me that they've announced the ticket details, so I need to find out. As soon as it's finished, I'm going to go find out because I definitely want to go see the Texans versus the Jags. As soon as I found out they were coming across, I put myself on the email list, but I want to get all the news and information because I want to get to that game. I've been to some of them in the past, and they've always been phenomenal. And I, To be able to watch the team that I support and Sean Watson hopefully is healthy for it, 
um, DeAndre Hopkins and stuff like that, uh, yeah, it'd be amazing. So, yes. <laughs> right. We'll not hold you back any longer then, Jamie. Thank you for joining <laughs> us. Uh, good luck for the, the, the rest of the season, for the playoffs, and for ultimately going on and winning the whole damn thing. <laughs> thank you very much, and thank you very much for having me on. So it was great then to catch up with Jamie and really good to hear that he's doing really well over there. We wish him all the best for the rest of the season. Hopefully he can go on and lift the whole thing. But um, Paul, we've um, we've been to an Edinburgh Wolves game. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, we asked Jamie there about you know the differences between the game in Prague and the game over here. And it sounds like the fact that they're giving out free tickets, the fact that there's investment, the fact that there's a lot going on is helping bring people along to follow the games. It's very, very difficult at any time you try and grow a sport that's not the traditional sport from the ground up. I mean, I think it was interesting to hear the way he spoke about it. You know, they've got a lot of great line players, but less perhaps skill position players, which I thought was interesting. But it did sound like they were well organised, well coached, and it was a product that was worth watching. It's the old story. If you give somebody a ticket, they're more likely to come to the event, whether they've paid for it or not, but if physically in their hand. So I think that's that's a good thing. They try and stream a lot of their, their games as well so people can pick up on that. It is always difficult for a sport that isn't the national sport or the game to actually grow and catch fire. What I think you need to do is just try and have as strong a base as you possibly can so it can become self-sufficient and then hopefully you can grow from there. What you don't want is that worry about finances, being able to pay for travel, being able to cover little expenses, not being able to have uniforms, and putting too much financial pressure on the players. There's no particular easy answer to it, but it strikes me that there's a great level of organisation. If you've got that, you're halfway there. Yeah, and, and, and looking at some of the pictures that they've got, um, from social media, it really, even though they're sort of Division 2, the, the Mustangs have a really good setup. You listen to the any of the footage that they've got, and it's a massive cheer that goes up with this t- a touchdown scored. Now, we've been along to the games at, at Megatland for the Edinburgh Wolves. It's a great venue. The Wolves this year playing out of Peppermill, not quite as good, but I think they're still getting numbers there, which is great. Um, and obviously, we've got a lot of teams in the UK, so there's a lot of people playing this, which is a big important thing as well. Growth of the game is going to happen one way or another. I think that there's maybe a lot that the UK can learn from Europe. I mean, you look at the German leagues as well, and they're massively popular. The game is huge over there. We've discussed this before, but you know we feel it's only inevitable before the NFL take a game to Germany because it's such a big market there. Uh, but hopefully, you know, the more the game grows, the more attention that it gets, the more stories like Jamie going and playing in Europe shows that the players here are of a good standard. Um, the fact that we've had FA Bouye as well go from playing in London to playing at the Panthers. Absolutely brilliant story there as well. So even Jamie Gillen at the Browns might just draw more people into the game, that little bit more. And the more interest there is in it, um, the better it will become. You know, the other thing it actually does, and we perhaps overlook this, is it educates our American cousins to the fact that we actually like this game yeah. and we understand this game and we can produce some talent. Earlier on this week, it was announced that the Cubs and Cardinals probably come to London next year to play a couple of baseball games. And I think it was one of the Chicago papers immediately had to call and say, why are we wasting you know, Cubs, Cardinals, or you know, a bunch of Brits who know nothing about baseball? And that's a very ignorant standpoint. You could have easily gone to BT Sport or ESPN and said, what are your viewing figures in the UK for baseball? 
what go to MLB, what are your subscription levels? What are the number of hits you get from from Britain? You could have very quickly done a fact check. And this, you know, it's so lazy in the journalism style. And I think we get that as well. You know, that some people think, why are they going to, to the UK? What on earth would they want to do that for? Um, and they don't understand the passion that people have for the game, the understanding that people have for the game. So I, I find that quite fascinating. So we'll very quickly, before we move on, uh, talk about how the Scottish teams are actually doing in the BAFA standings. So still very very early in the season. Uh, let's start in the Premier North. The Edinburgh Wolves, the sole Scottish representative in that division, started the season off with a win, but two defeats, including a really tough one to Tamworth Phoenix, who really are a... a, a Several they're, they're, standards they're above. They are yeah, yeah. So, um, but it's a one and two record after three games for the Edinburgh Wolves. Uh, the Sheffield Giants rooted to the bottom, zero and four after four games. So the the Wolves will hope to keep themselves above them. Um, into NFC One North, the East Kilbride Pirates, who dropped down to this division last year, are currently unbeaten after three. It's it's the Northumberland Vikings are top with four wins out of four. Then it's the Pirates with three out of three. Glasgow Tigers in third place with two and two record. Aberdeen Roughneck having been promoted. Um, there are they've won the one game and lost two. In that division, it looks like the uh, Gateshead Senators are the the ones in trouble. Um, zero and four, and after four games, they've scored six points and conceded one hundred and fifty one. That sounds unfortunate. It does sound unfortunate. <laughs> so, but hey, we're a Scottish podcast here, so we'll stick to the Scottish teams. Uh, NFC North 2, um, which is uh, three Scottish teams in that one. We've got Clyde Valley Blackhawks are 5-0, and unbeaten on the season. Brilliant start from the Blackhawks. The Dumfries Hunters are 4-1 and on the season. The Inverclyde Goliaths, who I'm pretty certain are a brand new team, 3-2 and for the season. Uh, in that division, uh, they've got the Carlisle Sentinels, who, when I first started watching, they, the Wolves were in the same division as them, and I'm sure I saw the Wolves score 70 points on them. Um, but uh, Carlisle Sentinels, they're just over the border. They've not scored a single point in eight games, and they've, they've only conceded 49. Either that or this table is not quite big enough, and there's a third number in there that's not showing. Tough season for the Carlisle Sentinels. Yeah, that's tough. I hope they meet Gateshead at some point, just, yeah. just for fun. <laughs> But yeah, we'll try and give an update as well towards the end of the season, let you know who's making a, a, a move for the playoffs. Certainly, I think there'll definitely be a couple of Scottish teams involved at some of the levels, certainly. And if you get a chance to go along to a game locally, lots of teams in Scotland, certainly worth a look. Try look up their Twitter, look up their Facebook, get along, see a game. I think you'll enjoy it. So we're absolutely delighted now to be joined by journalist and broadcaster Ben Isaacs. Uh, we're going to be hearing about his new book, which is currently available for pre-order today in NFL history. Hello, Ben. Hi, how are you doing, guys? Yeah, it's good. Thank you. Ben, thanks for joining us here on the NFL Scotland podcast. We always ask five questions of our first guest. Now, we've answered the first one because we know you're Ben Isaacs, but <laughs> tell us a little bit, Ben, about what you do and how you do it. Um, well, I am a lifelong uh, journalist. I've just been, I've been writing for as far back as I can remember. It was like the one passion I had in in school, as well as watching the NFL. And I, I wasn't really cut out for playing, <laughs> so I've just been writing, writing, writing. At the moment, um, my day job is on a magazine for young people called uh, The Week Junior. We won Print Product of the Year for the third time in a row this week, which is really good. Um, but it also gives me lots of time to cover the NFL, which is uh, my big passion. Fantastic. So, which team do you support and what attracted you to them? 
Um, the Chicago Bears, uh, because it was literally the first team I ever saw on Channel 4 in 1984. And I, I often think back, I wish I could remember more about seeing them on TV for the first time. All I can imagine is that they won. And I thought that'll do for me. <laughs> and I, I think I watched, um, I watched a kind of a Sunday afternoon highlights on Channel Four in '84. Saw the Bears, didn't see anything until the Super Bowl, Super Bowl nineteen. I was always allowed to stay up insanely late at any time. Not just oh, it's Super Bowl, you can stay up any time. I've got terrible parents, I'll admit it. <laughs> and I was staying at my nan's house. And I watched the first quarter of Super Bowl 19, had no idea what was happening. And I pretty much forgot about the NFL then until 1985, saw a bit more of the Bears, saw a chunk of the Super Bowl and realized, you know, the 85 Bears were obviously something special. And I knew at that point the Bears were my team and that it would be a nonstop ride of Super Bowl victories from that point on. They were just so good that it was going to be pretty much nonstop wins from then on. Uh, that's worked out well because I think was it t- title number thirteen or fourteen you're on now something like that. Anyway. Um, yeah, so it's it's stuck on it's stuck on number unfortunately, um, but maybe one day, maybe uh, one day. Live in hope. I think that's the great thing about American sport. We we can live in hope. Now you mentioned that you might not have been talented enough to play the game. If you had been, which position would have attracted you the most? Uh, definitely quarterback because I've got a huge ego. I always think I should be in charge and we used to play American football in the schoolyard all the time um, because I would kind of nag my friends into it and then they all got into it and I would always have to be a quarterback. I always needed to be in charge telling people what to do, which was useful because they didn't know the rules as well as I did. Um, And at that point, I really felt I could throw it as far as anybody else in the school. The problem is I could probably still throw it about as far as I could when I was eight years old. So and I'm put at the same sort of height. So none of that has progressed. And I eventually realized that if I'm going to get in NFL locker rooms, it was going to have to be as a journalist. That is brilliant. There is a gap on the NFL Scotland roster for a quarterback. You've made it. We've got an awful <laughs> lot of kickers <laughs> in, in our roster. So, Ben, the, the inspiration for the book, I presume, is, is your love of the game. It is, and it's obviously the NFL's 100th season, and I'm an NFL history nerd. I love knowing about the little details. As a as a child of about nine, I was given a book that was the history of the Chicago Bears, and it was a big, big book, and I found it too dense to just kind of sit and read all the way through, and I would kind of dip in and out, and there would be things that would fascinate me. And I've kind of written the book that... I would like to read now, and also the nine, ten-year-old me obsessed with the NFL would also be able to enjoy. I, I assumed that someone had already written a fantastic book that would cover the major events that have happened on every single day of the calendar year. And I searched and searched, and there were some websites that will occasionally do it. Like the NFL.com occasionally does it, and every team site occasionally does it. You know, on this day, such and such happened. But nobody had actually ever put it all together, and I thought this is a huge gap in the market. And it also annoyed me because I wanted that book to read myself. So I started work on it, and I had some I had chats with some publishers, and it eventually got to the point where I realized the reason nobody's done it is it's too difficult to do. 
it'll pretty much kill you if you want to try and do it because it's very easy to look at the events that have happened from, say, September through to mid-February. But the rest of the year is much more difficult. You've got to really trawl the newspapers and the websites, pick things out and find the significance within that. So I won't, I won't spoil this for people who are going to buy the book, but I thought I need to have February 29th. If I'm going to have all the year, days of the year, February 29th, Leap Day has to be in there. But what can make Leap Day so special and significant? I was so pleased I was able to find something that is super, super appropriate for that. That'll be a surprise for anyone who hasn't read it. But I really did do a crazy amount of research. I then realized the book was getting absolutely massive. And a paperback was possibly going to run to about 550 pages. And it was not going to be cost effective as this went on publishers sort of dropped out and I thought right I've I've started so I'll finish I've got to finish this now because it's driven me crazy it's taken up so much of my time and mental effort I'm going to finish it I'm going to do it myself and now I don't need to worry about is it too long because it's a book for me even if no one else wanted to buy it and thankfully people are pre-ordering it if no one else wanted to buy it I've got that book for me and it's the it's a book for NFL nerds, it's a book for people who are just starting to get interested in the NFL and want to learn more about it. It's basically for anybody who's interested in the NFL. I know that sounds like a kind of very broad sell, and I'm in salesman mode, but I honestly, honestly believe it. This book is not going to make me rich. It is not my, it is not my day job. I never thought, oh, this is going to be a fortune for me. It was the book that I wanted to read. So at least that book will exist, and I've got it at last. Ben, if you're going to sell copies of your book on passion alone, you will sell <laughs> thousands, my friend. That just uh, Cameron's with me, obviously. Cameron, the, the passion that Ben has for this clearly comes across, and I, I mean, I've I've been glancing through the book. It is terrific because I'm the kind of nerd that thinks, "Oh, oh, that happened on that particular day." <laughs> Paul, you are 100 percent the target market for this book as well. Yeah, it's you've brilliant. got the perfect person. Now, in terms of, we're not going to give away the, the February the, the 29th because we want people to read that in the book, but give us, give us a flavour of some of the, the more unusual things, Ben, that you've uncovered. Um, well, something that I didn't know much about was the story of the Pottsville Maroons, who are one of the early teams. Um, and they were, they were technically the 1925 NFL champions. They had the, they had the best record and they were the, they were the winners in theory. But then they ended up playing an unsanctioned game against some Notre Dame All-Stars. A rival team, the Frankfurt Yellow Jackets, said, "Uh uh-uh, you can't do that. That game was in Philadelphia. It's too close to Frankfurt. We've got a home game on. We're not happy. The NFL said, Pottsville, you've got to cancel this game. They said, well, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to make lots of money from this. It's a really big deal. So they were kicked out of the league despite being the top team and the Chicago Cardinals were given the championship, except the Cardinals said, "Uh uh-uh, we don't want this. We haven't won it properly. This belongs to the Pottsville Maroons. (laughs) So they they refused it. Now, the the Cardinals haven't obviously been a particularly well-run team at pretty much any point in their history, (laughs) but the, the Bidwell family bought the franchise in 1933, and they were saying... Ah, so this title that we could technically claim from 1925, okay, we'll take it. 
at that point, there was no 1925 champion. So the NFL were more than happy to say, okay, fine, that's yours then. The Cardinals rubbing their hands together, it's their first championship. But the, they, this, this was a constant row because other teams in the league felt, uh, this, doesn't, this doesn't sit right with us. I'm sorry, you can hear an ice cream fan. It's, <laughs> it's a half-time well, snack well. coming. <laughs> Yes, it's, it's, uh, we'll get we'll get to the we'll get to the famous ice cream wars of the NFL on another day. Um, that's something for your uh, for your Glasgow listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> See, I, I know all sorts of history. So, um, so other other teams were thinking uh, this 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 isn't right. So in 1963, now you know this is 30 years after the Cardinals had decided to take the title, which was eight years after it happened. 1963, the NFL had a big debate, and they had to vote on whether the Cardinals' championship should be overturned. And owners voted 14-2 in in favour of letting the Cardinals keep it. But the fact is that still at that point, this still didn't sit right with teams. So you might think that this would have been totally forgotten about, but in 2003, so in this century, it was still being argued about when the, the owners' meetings would come up. This was still being brought up mainly by the Philadelphia Eagles and the Pittsburgh Steelers, who felt that the Pottsville Maroons should have this title. So this is the 1925 championship being voted on in 2003. This is something that should be long, long, long forgotten. But because they're trying to keep people happy within Pennsylvania, the Eagles and Steelers still bringing it up. Unfortunately, they lost that vote 30-2. to it's only them who want this title to go to Frankfurt, um, to go to Pottsville. Everyone else now is just, we couldn't care less. This is done. This was 1925. <laughs> but to me, it not only summed up the, the weirdness of the NFL, but the obsession with history that the teams have themselves. You know, just teams in 2003 obsessed with what was going on in 1925 and trying to right a territorial wrong. I love that. Um, and then something that I'd completely forgotten about until I was doing the research, <clears throat> which is when a Bears broadcast was hacked. Now, this was in 1987, and I remember seeing this on Newsround, and it, it blew my mind. This was, this was I, don't, I don't ever recall seeing the NFL on Newsround, and there I was, minding my own business. It was on, and then they mentioned the Chicago Bears, and I'm like, what? And what happened is, is that, Somebody had hacked into uh, Bears Highlights broadcast on uh, local TV there, and it was a kind of Max Headroom style kind of mask that this guy was doing, and there were kind of funny noises going on. And then it cut off, and everyone, everyone in the studio in Chicago was like, oh, what went on there? And that was really weird. And this is something that um, the, everyone from like, you know, kind of the FBI to the FCC in, in the US will take very seriously. You try hacking. A television broadcast you will do serious jail time they could not figure out where it came from later that night there was another very similar hack on another channel and they've never been able to get these to get these people you can find these videos on on youtube if you if you google like chicago bears max headroom hack or something like that you will find it it's actually really sinister and creepy and it's just a weird little thing that most people won't have heard of and if i hadn't been watching that news on that uh, news on that day, I wouldn't have seen it. So, these are the sort of crazy things, as well as Super Bowls and NFL championships. You'll find these things out. 
I love that. I've written that down. I'm going to Google that <laughs> yeah. later. That's fantastic. Scott, you're going to see a spike in the number of people having a look at that. that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's for sure. I mean, Ben, I mean, you've got 30 plus teams to cover, plus teams that don't exist anymore. I mean, what was the most valuable research tool for you? Was it the web? Uh, it was. It was. It's, it's so useful that you are able to look through newspaper archives from anywhere in the US. This was an invaluable tool. And I had done lots and lots of research, made lots and lots of notes, and was writing stuff up. And thankfully, I'd made all these notes well in advance, because then something happened. GDPR happened. And because of GDPR, lots of US media companies started blocking access from the EU. So lots of websites that I had taken information from, as I went back to kind of double check things, I then had to find other routes in because those sites were then blocked. And that was, if I'd started the book and GDPR had already come into effect, I probably would have hit that brick wall and stopped. So it was good that I started when I did and had done so much of the work before then, because otherwise it would have, it would have killed me. And it's, it's impossible to kind of get this information together without local newspapers from the US. Right, there's, um, I've got, I've got an entry on the very first game, NFL game ever played in Europe. It was at Wembley Stadium and most people won't know when that was and who it was. People might think it was the American Bowl with the Bears and Cowboys in 1986. This was not the case. It was the Cardinals against the Vikings in 1983. It was sanctioned by the NFL, but it wasn't organized by the NFL. And there's not that much information about it. You can find pictures um, of programs and things like that. And thankfully, one Minnesota newspaper did a big feature in the last few years, kind of catching up with people who played in that game and how they were, how they were trendsetters. But I was writing stuff about exhibition games because it was you know, the first time played somewhere. There's been a lot of preseason games in Japan. But you can't find a lot of information about that because a lot of the preseason games were covered just with perhaps one paragraph in the local newspaper. They were they were just deemed in the eighties and in the seventies as well so insignificant. So you've got to be a real kind of Google ninja to be finding those <laughs> things out. I, I guess I've just described myself as a Google ninja. You have. But <laughs> I, I, do you know what? I'm going to take it. I'm yeah. self-driving, and now I'm going to take it. We're going to go with it. Sorry, we describe ourselves as Scotland's foremost NFL broadcasters. We'll, we'll take well, any not? title. You know, we, we don't mind. I mean, can you estimate how long it's taken you to get it to, to publish? Well, uh, do you know what? Although it's kind of been in my head for some time, I would say start to finish just about two years, which isn't that bad. I've written a lot of it, sat on trains, going to and from work, just stealing spare minutes wherever I can, kind of doing things. Excuse me. The good thing about a book like this um, is so much of it is kind of bite-sized that if you're writing something, if I'm writing um, a a feature, a 2,000-word feature, for example, it can be difficult to do that in 10-minute chunks. Whereas if you're doing something like this, if you've got 10 minutes, you might be able to knock out a short entry on something when you already know the background. So you're able to kind of 
put all these pieces together. So I didn't start it writing kind of doing January the 1st and finishing on December the 31st. It's a bit like when they make a film. They just film whatever they need to film at certain points and then it all gets put in the right order. So it was it was a long process, but it could have been so much work. And you know what? You've made me think of something you say about kind of, um, um, you know, 32 NFL teams and so on and so forth. I should find out how many teams are actually in the book because as well as the 32 current NFL teams, obviously you've got defunct teams. I mentioned almost every USFL team. Um, obviously any, every NFL, every team in the World League slash NFL Europe slash NFL Europa, the World Football League from the 1970s that lasted for one and a bit seasons, the AAF, the XFL. There were mentions of the CFL where they kind of... Um, um, sort of crossover with the NFL. So, yeah, I, I, there's, there's probably over 100 teams. There must be over 100 teams. Oh, I should count them. <laughs> or maybe I'm too afraid because it'll just blow my mind. I, I know <laughs> you're going to count them at some point. I, I do oh. love, uh, b- being an Edinburgh boy, the Portsville Maroons uh, s- sound like a brilliant one. What I thought I'd do, Ben, be- before we let you go, just a couple of other things. I thought I would pick two of the dates that mean something to us here on the NFL Scotland podcast. So I went to Cameron's birthday, which was the 23rd of April, and I had a look, and it's a tale that some people might not know, but Aaron Rodgers... It was all about him being drafted, but it didn't quite happen for him. And it's something that he's carried throughout his career, that chip on the shoulder that on the 23rd of April 2005, he didn't quite get the draft that he was looking for. I wonder if he had been, and there was talk that he could be the the first overall pick, the 49ers were interested in him, and of course they went for Alex Smith. If he'd been that first round pick, forgetting the fact that Green Bay was perhaps the perfect situation for him, he could sit learn under Brett Favre and all that sort of stuff. If he'd gone first, would that have changed his mindset? He's apparently a very difficult person to work with and be a teammate of because of that chip on his shoulder. But that chip on his shoulder really, really drives him. He's the most naturally naturally talented quarterback of his generation. But that that snub that he, I, he must feel every single day now, a lot of people would have just got over it. I don't think he's ever got over it. But that snub seems to drive him on. Of you know that anyone who watched that draft, where they kept putting him on camera as everybody disappeared from the room and he was the last one there, and there were cleaners taking things away from the table, just wanting him to leave. It was absolutely mortifying. Like, I've been I've been to the draft. I've I've covered the draft, and it's a very strange atmosphere when you're around the players beforehand they you'll get a couple who know what's going to happen and they feel fine but there's this real sense of uncertainty for everybody else and for Rogers that just seemed to gnaw away at him for his for his whole career I hope for his sake that when he retires he's able to just put it behind him and not feel slighted I, I uses it now but I hope he can let go of it one day yeah, I'd certainly like to think he can, because I think he'd be quite an interesting talent in the broadcast booth. I'm going to spin us through to the 18th of December, which is my birthday, and I knew this, but interestingly, Cameron didn't, was the fact that the Green Bay Packers used to play in two different stadiums, and on the 18th of December, 1984, I think it was the last time they used the Milwaukee County Stadium. 1994. Did you say 84? Yeah, sorry, I can't read more writing. <laughs> um, yeah, this was... I. I remembered watching um, in the Channel Four days, um, seeing them play 
seeing them play in Milwaukee. And I think there'll be a lot of modern day Packers fans who that seems a strange thought, especially because Lambeau Field is one of the most hallowed stadiums in the NFL. But even as recently as the mid 90s, that was not the case. And it was touch and go whether the Packers were going to stay in Green Bay or move to Milwaukee, which obviously is a much bigger city, has much better facilities. And, you know, the the appeal of the Green Bay Packers is they are the only true small town team. And it would have been totally different if they had if they had moved to Milwaukee and be, become the Milwaukee Packers. But throughout their history, really up until the 90s, there have been lots of times where Green Bay looked like it was too small for the Packers and they would have to move. But the way the game is now, your location is kind of irrelevant because there's so much TV money. If you're established, you're going to be okay. And obviously, it doesn't get much more established than the Packers. But yeah, in December 18th, 1994 was the last time they played a home game in Milwaukee. I think that's fascinating. I I thought you were going to say, my my favourite December 18th is the first indoor game, um, which is December 18th, 1932, when... um, when the Bears played the Portsmouth Spartans, who are now the Detroit Lions, because the weather was so bad, and they played it indoors, and the field was nowhere near big enough, and they had to just completely change the rules. Imagine that now. There's going to be a Super Bowl, but oh, we've got to temporarily change the rules and completely neuter the game, and you've both got to go in one direction, and there are walls on the side, and yeah, it'll be fine. So these are the sort of things that happened in the NFL in the 30s. Absolutely well, it, yeah. To be fair, Ben, for the for the championship games this year, they changed the rules for the Saints Rams game. I'm not oh. over that call yet. I'm, I'm, I'm just not over that call. Oh, Ben, we're working on this one. It's a long term project. Yeah, I mean, we're you know, we're, we're talking about. It. Hopefully, Rogers can let that go. Yeah, um. no, I'm, I, I'm I'm as motivated as Rogers. I I can assure you, as a Saints fan, Ben. I mean, in terms of plans for the book, it's obviously available quite soon. Yes, it will be out on the 30th of May, so you can pre-order now and it will be delivered. Or if you want to wait and be able to see a preview, because you won't be able to see a preview of it until a couple of days before it's out. And you you can just see some excerpts there. If you need that reassurance, which I get, you should be able to get that on about the 28th and you can see. And then you'll be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I need this in my life. And then you can order it and it'll be absolutely fine. Um, And hopefully people, hopefully people love it. Hopefully. Well, you've certainly got a couple of fans here of it, that, that's for sure. Ben, thanks for joining us on the NFL Scotland podcast, and we'd love to have you back just to talk football in general at some point, because it's clear you're, you're a pretty passionate guy about the game. I am. I would, I would love to come back. And for all your uh, listeners in Scotland, there is plenty of Claymore's coverage in this book as well. That's, that was a firm requirement of mine. Brilliant. Ben, thanks for joining us on the NFL Scotland podcast. appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Have a great one, guys. Brilliant then from Ben. Before we go then, the news items that we always finish up on. And first of all, Paul, they've made some changes to the kickoff times for the playoff games. That's interesting because they're moving them a couple of hours later, which probably means you're looking at bigger audiences. Unfortunately for us, I always quite liked it because it was almost like, you know, at six o'clock slot. They moved from one to three and they've knocked on a couple of hours for the later game as well to half six rather than five past four. And it's an interesting one because what we we kind of it's better now on the Saturday because you've not got that really late one o'clock kickoff. It comes forward to eleven, but it's the Sunday game now. You're 
totally dipping into Monday morning. Uh, swings and roundabouts. I don't know that it necessarily helps us overall here, but um, it, good that it's not quite as late on that. Saturday has less of an impact on your Sunday, but it might mean a half day Monday morning off now if you really want to sit up and watch the whole of it the last of the four games yeah it's just one of these things they've done it because I think they've identified they can get bigger audiences you saw it with the, the FA Cup going on at half five rather than three o'clock it's only because they think they can tap into a slightly bigger audience that's the way they're doing it so we'll, we'll see if it doesn't work they'll reverse it that's for sure yeah absolutely right one last thing then before we go and we tweeted this out earlier on with the fact that Adolphus Washington has been signed by the Miami Dolphin we thought it was the perfect name for Adolphus for the Dolphins surely but also Washington he could have played for the Redskins we then asked you on Twitter what other players are perfect are the perfect name fit for other teams Antonio Brown to the Browns would have been easy we're looking for better than that we've already had some great replies uh, we're going to leave this one open we're going to talk about it on our next podcast so have a look for that share your thoughts what is the perfect name to have played for the perfect team that goes with them let us know we'll share all the best ones on next week's podcast but that concludes everything for episode 52 we hope you've enjoyed listening again we'd love to hear your feedback good and bad make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Scotland NFL and on Facebook www.facebook.com forward slash Scotland NFL thanks to all of you who've been listening sharing and chatting about the podcast we continue to see our numbers grow each and every week please do keep sharing the podcast with all your NFL friends and continue to let us know what you think thanks again to Jamie and Ben for joining us it was two great interviews make sure that you give the Prague Mustangs a follow on social media and do check out Ben's new great book we'll be back again next week we recently reached out and asked for the topics you'd like to hear us discuss thanks for all those who've put in topics we'll take a few more get in touch with us at NFL Scotland we've got some crackers up our sleeve but until then bye for now